0: you mm-hmm. looking at James and uh, we've just got a couple more sermons. I hope you continue to read the book and digest it, wrestle with it and uh, see where it takes you. It's been a real challenge for us. It's been a challenge for me to preach through James because so much of it hits very close to home. James doesn't pull any punches. He gets right to the point and he makes us a little uncomfortable as we begin to analyze our own lives. So it's very hard to stand up and preach on something when you realize that you're preaching to yourself. And so that's very much part of of the attitude and approach that we have as we come to this book. So James, whose real name is, anybody remember? Jacob. Even in the Greek translation, Jacobus, Jacob is actually writing this general letter, And it's not a specific letter like Paul writes. Paul writes to the Corinthians or to the Galatians, to the Ephesians. Even though those letters are circulated around, James writes a much more general letter to the Jewish followers of Jesus who are now scattered around the Mediterranean world at the time. And it's a very important letter for them. Even though it's general, he seems to have some very specific instances or specific realities in mind as he begins to write this letter. And so we've had to talk about trials. And many of you are thinking there are specific trials in my life. And James addresses them. Or temptations. And there's specific temptations in our lives. And James addresses them. Then he gets right to the meat of things. He talks about not showing preference to people who come into our congregation. And then last week, the really tough one taming our tongue as we work through some of these realities that we face in the church. Well, today, we've got another one. Church fights. Everybody ready? Put your dukes up. Uh, It's kind of funny, I say James doesn't pull any punches and he gets right to it on this one as well. James is really passionate about it. and, And he actually goes to a bit of a dark place when he talks about church fighting. And obviously, it was something that he was familiar with. He even compares these fights to murder." That's interesting. Did you pick that up? He's like, you you don't have and so you kill. I don't think he literally meant that people were killing one another during the church service. So what is he talking about here? Well, I think once again, James is reflecting Jesus. He's reflecting the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus steps it up a notch, doesn't he? And I think James picks up on this. And so this infighting that seemed to be happening really bothered James. I think James would have seen conflict in the church firsthand. He was, it seems, if you read Acts chapter 15, uh, sort of the chair of the Jerusalem church. He was the one that seemed to give leadership of the early church in Jerusalem. And he actually presided over the very first debate on inclusivity. They were wondering, do we let these pesky Gentiles in? Or do we make them be circumcised first? And James was very wise, it seems. And he says this, let's not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. What a great statement, and you can read that in Acts chapter 15. Let's not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And James sets the tone and seems to announce the decision of the Jerusalem church. But that could have been a very tense, and probably was, a very tense meeting. So James saw some of this potential for conflict. But he would have also known about Paul when Paul opposed Peter to his face. That's the language in Acts, when Paul has to confront Peter. Or when Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement over John Mark, and that actually ends up them separating ways, going different ways. Or the Galatians, and it says in Galatians, they were biting and devouring one another. Or the Corinthians, who are taking one another to court. James would have known all this, I think. He would have been very familiar with conflict situations within the church. If anybody ever comes to you and says, we just need to get back to the early church and the simplicity and purity of the early church. You just say, wait a minute. Uh, that's, that's very naive in our thinking. Why? Because we're humans. And whenever you throw a group of humans together and ask them to make decisions, especially when it involves money, you get all kinds of different opinions and some conflict as well. So it's interesting. I think James was very familiar with conflict in the church, but he was troubled by it. He was troubled by this infighting. Douglas Moo, a commentator, uh, says this, James seems to be bothered more by the selfish spirit and bitterness of the quarrels than by the rights and wrongs of the various viewpoints. That's really important. James isn't taking sides. He's not saying this group has the right and this group is in the wrong. He's not trying to even mediate between them. He's just saying, check your attitude. (laughs) Look at how you're doing this. There is a way to have conflict that's appropriate. There's a way to have confrontation that is appropriate. There's a way to have disagreement and still journey together as a community and still love one another. And But James is bothered more by the selfish spirit and the bitterness of the quarrels than by the actual context of what the quarrels are about. That's the challenge, I think, that we face in James chapter 4. Maybe James would be like the poet of the church, who said this. To dwell above with the saints in love, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints I know, that's another story. You're meant to laugh at that. But there's a, there's a conflict there, and it's difficult sometimes as we journey together, especially I think over these last two years, if there's been a lot of added pressure and added difficulty. So James gives us the source of this problem, And the solution to the problem. But we're not going to get at that right now. We're going to look at the source and the solution to the problem, and we're going to get at that later. But I want to reflect a little bit on the passage. Because as I was reflecting on it, I realized that woven throughout this passage are actually three battles that are worth fighting. James isn't saying, don't ever fight. I think he's saying, make sure you're fighting the right battles. Pick your battles. Sometimes in the New Testament, these three battles are called the world, the flesh, and the devil. Sometimes that's the summary. That's our battles. That's the fights we're supposed to be fighting. I think we see that reflected um, in the temptation of Jesus in the desert. He's tempted by the world to cast himself off the pinnacle of the temple, be spectacular, be the kind of leader the world expects you to be and they'll all follow you. That's a temptation to conform to the pattern of the world. Or the temptation of the flesh. Uh, when Jesus was tempted to turn these stones into bread, do something useful, do something relevant, do something to satisfy your immediate needs. And he was tempted by the devil. Worship me, and I'll give you the nations of the world. It'll be yours. Take a shortcut, bow down and worship. And so we have these three great enemies of the faith, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's what we're meant to be fighting. And we see that in James. So let's look at that together. First, we should be fighting against the world. (laughs) This is the war around us. This is what James says. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Or as Paul says it, Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Now, we have to be careful here. What are we talking about when we say the world? Because we don't want to retreat and take pot shots at everyone around us who are not Christian. That's not what we're talking about here. When we talk about the world, we're not talking about the created order of things, right? We're not talking about nature, because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We're meant to celebrate nature, we're meant to to be stewards of nature and of the good resources God has given us. We're also not talking about the world of humanity because God so loved the world and gave his son. So what are we talking about here? I would suggest this. When we're told that we're to be in the world but not of the world, when we're told not to conform to the pattern of this world or be a friend to the world, the world is the system's values, attitudes, and actions of a society that is anti-God. That's what we're talking about here. The systems, the values, the attitudes, the actions of a society that are anti-God. We're meant to battle against the anti-God systems that we find in society around us. So society maybe teaches that life is easily expendable, but we stand up and proclaim that life is sacred. Or when we find that systems are infused with racisms and uh, misogyny, we dismantle them because that's what we're called to do. When the world says hate, we say love one another. We're meant to be different. We're meant to be set apart in what we do in the world. And so that's the challenge. That's the battle that we're meant to fight. James says, if we're not fighting that battle, then we compromise and we become friends with the world. And once we become friends with the world, we set ourselves up as enemies to God. So that's a battle worth fighting. That's something we have to understand and that we have to fight together the battle against the world. Well, the second battle is this the battle against the flesh. This is the war within us. James already hints at this at the very opening of the passage. Do they not come from your own desires for pleasure that war within your members? You lust and you do not have. The battle is within us, says James. Uh, the Rocky movies. Anybody remember the Rocky movies? Anybody watch them? Adrian. and I won't do the whole uh, impersonation of Rocky, but there was a spinoff to that movie series called Creed. It came out in 2015 and it's an older Rocky training a younger boxer by the name of Creed. And in one of the training sessions, he takes the young boxer over to a mirror. Anybody remember the scene or have seen it? takes him and stands him in front of a mirror and says, you know, assume the position, ready to box. And this is what he says. Do you see this guy staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. I believe that in boxing and I do believe that in life, he says in his gruff, rocky voice. That's true, isn't it? The real battle that we face is often not around us, it's within us. Galatians 5 says it like this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. There's a war that rages within and we need to yield ourselves to the Spirit of God so that we might do what the Spirit desires. There's a second battle that's worth fighting. The third one is against the devil. This is the war that's beyond us and maybe around us again. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. What does James say to this? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So there's three battles that are worth fighting, right? And we find it echoed in James and woven through this passage. The battle against these world systems that are anti-God, the battle against the flesh within us that is trying to detract us from God, and the battle against the devil who seeks to devour us. These are battles worth fighting. So we need to know our enemy, and we need to put our efforts in that direction. We need to understand the tactics, and then we need to rely on God's strength for the victory He gives more grace. Did you catch that in the passage? That's what we need for the victory. But instead, instead of focusing on the fights that we should be fighting, James says, we're fighting and quarreling among ourselves. That's what breaks his heart. That's what breaks James' heart. He says, You've got got lots of fights to fight. Don't fight among yourselves. That's the worst possible thing. We need our energy for the real battles. We need the unity of the spirit in order to see victory personally and as a community. There's a long history between the English and the Scottish, and I have to be careful what I say here, because I know there's people from different groups, but the English and Scottish have had a long history of, well, let's just say conflict. And I, I encountered this, of course, when I was studying my undergraduate degree in Scotland, And uh, I was there during the days of Margaret Thatcher. Anybody remember Thatcher, the Iron Lady? Um, And she was very much there, and she decided while I was there, unfortunately, to introduce a poll tax. If you have a head, you have a tax. But she only introduced it to Scotland at first. That's the true story. I'm not making this up. And it just inflamed some of those Scottish anti-English kind of things and spurned on a whole independence movement. The problem is... The English have made a fatal mistake all of these years. If they just left the Scottish alone, they would have destroyed themselves. (laughs) Because as soon as the English came up, there was a common enemy to fight. And just leave them alone. And they would fight amongst themselves. And I wonder if sometimes that's why the devil leaves us alone. Because as soon as we have a common enemy, we usually rally. We get together. We fight. A common challenge but we're left alone to our own devices. We fight among ourselves. We're doing his work for him. That's the reality of what we face. And I think that's what James is talking to us. So what is the source of this conflict? I want you to picture in your mind right now a conflict that you might be in. And as soon as I say that, we're maybe picturing a situation or a topic or a person or my neighbor or whatever it is. Well, James says this, Don't look around you, look within you, because the conflict resides in our own selfish desires. We don't like that. And then James does this consistently. He says, don't bother looking around you, look in. What's happening in your heart? What are those unfulfilled desires that you're grasping at and in frustration lashing out at others because of what's happening in your heart? He says this, in the message translation. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and you're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Your spoiled children, each wanting your own way. Wow, James. Just don't hold anything back. Those are harsh words. And they strike in my heart. Maybe they strike at your heart. What's going on inside us? One of my mentors the Reverend Reverend Dr. Phil Collins, not Phil Collins that played drums, right? But uh, Reverend Dr. Phil Collins, he passed away in 2019. And uh, he was just a huge influence in my life. He was the uh, president of Cary Theological College and did a lot of church planting in BC. Phil Collins uh, sat me down one day and he said, he asked me the question, why are there fights in the church? This was a kind of pop quiz. And I came up with lots of ideas that I thought would be appropriate. And then he said this, people fight because they care. That was interesting. But he said, they don't always care about the same things or the right things. But we care. And so we have to ask, why do I care so much about this that I'm fighting? Is it the right fight? Is it the right kind of care? Am I caring for the right things, for God's things? Or is it just my own selfish desires? Maybe for power. Maybe it's for recognition. Maybe it's for some kind of affirmation that I'm not getting from somewhere else. And we have to assess what's going on in our heart. Is it status? Is it just so I'm proven to be right? This is the challenge that James brings to us. It's our own selfish pride that often throws us into unhealthy conflict. That's the reality. So that's the source what's the solution? James says, humility. Godly humility is the solution to the quarreling and fighting that you're facing. And he spells it out for us. What does it look like? What does godly humility look like? Two things, he says. First of all, submit to God. Submit to God. Pride says, God, I don't need you. I've got this figured out. I can go with this on my own strength. Humility says, God, I need you. I need your grace. Humility isn't thinking less of ourselves. It's actually thinking more of God. That's what humility is about. But the second thing in humility is this. Stop judging other believers. That's what James says at the end. Who who made you a judge over one another? That's up to God. And so stop judging one another. Stop gossiping about one another. Stop slandering one another. And this is the challenge that James brings to us if we're going to have a solution to the conflict. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, As long as you are proud, you cannot really know God. A proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. I love that. And that's the challenge that comes to us at the end of James. So... If we want to end battles that come from infighting, we need to learn humility. But we also need to be involved in the fights that matter. Sometimes I think we fight with one another and fight among ourselves because we're not already engaged in a bigger fight. We need to be engaged in the big battles, in the big fights. And that's what we need to give our time and our attention and our energy to. In other words, we need to be more like Jesus. I want to read to you just in closing from Philippians chapter 2, and it's a passage that might be very familiar to you, but it really sums up this message of James and shows us why James should be included in the New Testament. Remember we talked about there's debate about that, but he's so consistent with the teaching of Jesus and with the teaching of the New Testament in general. This is what it says in Philippians. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for our times when we have, out of our own selfish desires, uh, pursued uh, conflict or pursued fights, whether it's with our neighbors or online or with the people that are in this congregation, Wherever it's been, Father, if it's been dishonoring to you, we ask for your forgiveness. Father, help us to fully engage in the fights that you've called us to. To fight the good fight. To fight against the evil we see in the systems of humanity. To fight against our own fleshly desires and to fight against Satan, which is always prowling. Father, unite us by your spirit in that fight. So that your name might be lifted up and so that people might be drawn to you because of the unity they see in your body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.